So if you've got a Bible here today, if you could turn to Genesis, that's near the book, uh, near the beginning of the book. In fact, it's right at the start of the book. Not literally, it's a few pages in. Genesis 16 comes after 15 before 17. And um, if you're new here today, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we've just started a new series called The Rescue Begins, which is basically around the, the rescue plan that God launched 4,000 years ago. Genesis chapter 12, we see God doesn't judge the world as he should have done. Genesis chapter 11 is this depressing chapter all about... Is that... Okay, is that sounding rubbish? Work your magic, Tom Gillett. Um, Genesis 11 is a very depressing chapter. Excellent. Genesis 11, focus. Genesis 11 is a depressing chapter. And really God, if he was just a God of justice, should have judged the world. But what we find oozing through the rest of the entire Bible is God is not a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace and love. And in Genesis 12, we see God launches this incredible rescue plan to planet Earth that we are still living in the good of here today. So without any further ado, let's read from Genesis chapter 16. And Helen Thatcher, rather, is going to read to us. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Thanks so much, Helen. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, we do love you so much. We thank you your word is living and active. We thank you you're here, Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you, Lord God, now you're here to change lives. Nothing less changing lives. Whether we know you or whether we don't know you yet, you're here to change lives. Amen. Amen. Today we are looking at yet another enemy of faith. Are you ready for this? It's called impatience. Say impatience. Impatience. When I looked at this chapter I felt a whole mixture of emotions because I genuinely believe, and I really am not hyping this up, 
I believe this very common idea of patience, patience, this very familiar word that we, are, we hear a lot, I genuinely believe is a hugely prophetic now word for us as a church. We've heard a lot about faith, haven't we? Faith, faith, faith. You hear a lot about faith in Christian circles and you have men wearing big white suits going, you've got to have more faith. You know, faith is this glamorous thing at one level. But you don't hear a lot about patience. Patience is like the ugly sister, isn't it? It's like, faith, patience. You know, it's like, well, patience, yeah, it's a bit, it's important, but, you know. And we often think of patience as kind of like, it, well, it's an, you know, some people are patient and some aren't, you know? So jo- uh, Daisy, rather, my daughter, is really into Snow White. And you have sleepy and bashful and grumpy. And we're just like, oh dear, some people are grumpy. Actually, grumpiness is a bit of a sin. It's actually, it's, if you're constantly someone who's in a bad mood, that doesn't glorify God. That's not a good thing. It's a sin. And we can kind of think patience like that. It's like, well, I'm a bit impatient. I'm really impatient. And as I looked at this, I thought, oh my goodness, this is actually a sin. It's a serious thing. When we are constantly, regularly, people who act out of impatience, it isn't a small thing. And today, church, what I believe God wants to say to us is this, is that as we look at this thing of faith, what do I mean by faith? I just mean trust. Faith is one of those words you kind of get, you kind of think... It just means trust. It means belief. It means that we believe God. This is what this story is about. God makes promises of rescue to planet Earth through a very normal guy called Abraham. And it's all about this life of faith, life of trust. We heard this morning coming through all these words, do you trust me? It was God's word. And it's a 4,000 year old question. It's the big question really is do we trust him? This is what faith is about. But what God wants to bring into the mix today is this profoundly important massive and yet often overlooked idea of patience. Hebrews 6.12 says this. Paul says, or sorry, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, says this. He says, I want you to be imitators of those who through faith, yes, and patience, what? Faith and patience inherit the promises. Not just faith, raw, we believe God, but no, no, patience. The unglamorous, unculturally cool thing at the moment, patience, is utterly vital. It's not a little additional thing, it's massive. And so when we are therefore regularly impatient, what we are actually doing is allowing an enemy of faith to come in. Think of faith as a tree, okay? Belief, whoops, belief, trust in faith is like a tree. The fruit of that, thank you Tim, look at this guy, what a servant, thank you Tim. The fruit of faith tree is patience. Big, red, juicy apple called patience. Tastes good. When you've got a manky fruit called impatience, which is constantly there, that's telling you something about your trunk. It's telling you something about this aspect. It's saying somewhere deep down you've got to grow in your faith. Okay? Now you might think, oh, I don't believe that, Tom. Impatience isn't that big a deal. Let me convince you in the next 30 minutes. So what we see here, therefore, are two key reactions, okay? Scripture does this. It's glorious. Scripture, when you look at it, it always, so often, deliberately gives us huge contrasts. This chapter is in two big contrasting halves. The first half is all about a rash reaction. Say rash reaction. Sounds like a heavy metal band, doesn't it? Rash reaction! It's a rash reaction. And it has a whole chain reaction of sin after it. It's just this first half of blunder after blunder. That's a nice way of saying sin, to be honest with you. And then you see, after this dark and dingy, heavy metal, rash reaction half, you see this amazing contrasting half. A grace reaction. Say grace reaction. reaction. God comes. So you see this first chapter, and as we're going to see, you're going to probably go, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, I'm like that, I'm like that. Oh, no. And then what we will see is out of that nosedive of depression, God goes, but it's okay because I, I can come and I can change you. That's what God wants to do today. He doesn't want to just identify this thing, impatience in our lives, and leave us feeling, oh no. No, no. God wants to say, it's, it's not okay, but I'm coming graciously to help you change. Because then through faith and patience, city church and individual lives, you will inherit the promises of God. Promises of God throughout this wonderful book. And also prophetic words that you may have in your life and we have as a church. So first of all then, let's look at at this RAS reaction that we see here. Let's go on a seek and destroy mission to seek out the things that are not meant to be in our life 
and to destroy them. So we see here that Sarai acts rashly. This is huge here, okay? She says here, she says, the Lord, this is in verse uh, 1, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Then she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children from her. Now we can just rush over things. Let's just slow down and pause on this. Her first statement, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Totally true. Of course, God is almighty. God is in control. At this stage, 10 years after God had promised Sarai, you're going to have a son even though you're barren, 10 years after it, it still hasn't happened. Right? So when she says the Lord has prevented, that's right. If we use the language of last week about God being who is able, i.e. powerful and willing, she's got the first part. He's able. God is one in control. He could have opened my womb, but so far he hasn't. But remember, God has promised that he will. Okay? This is where it goes wrong. First half, great. The Lord has prevented me thus far. Okay? But then, rather than saying, but then God is in control and he's good and willing, and if he's promised that I am going to have a child, then he will do it in his timing, she goes off at this disastrous tangent. She makes a next step conclusion that is totally wrong. She says, God has so far prevented me from having children. I know. Let's take the situation into our own control. Abraham, go and have sex with Hagar, the maidservant girl. Because then that way we can make this thing happen. Do you see that? She hadn't come through on both aspects of the revelation we looked at last week. She knew God was able, but she somehow... This is the thing, somehow her faith, or let's put it in the other way, her trust of God had got broken down. Trust of God is massive. It is absolutely massive. You know, Jesus said, to enter the kingdom you have to become a child. Why? Children trust. They trust. They just trust, don't they? Until they learn not to trust, if they've been let down, they trust. And this, there's something so tragic here. Now, this is why, you see, we have to feel the weight of this. This isn't a small issue. Her impatience, her rash reaction was a slur, was a slur on God's character. She didn't probably consciously think that, but by her taking it into her own hands, she was in effect saying... <laughs> I don't doubt, I doubt rather that God's actually going to do what he says. I'm going to take this into my own hands. That's huge. When she actually started to take control in her own way rather than trusting God, she was saying unconsciously maybe, God, I don't really trust you. And that breaks his heart. And it's actually stupid. It's really stupid. <laughs> you know, I've just started to teach uh, Daisy, my two and a half year old, about crossing roads. Okay? So we come to a busy road and I'm like, Daisy, hold my hand. And she stands there, holding my hand. And I'm like, there's a lot of cars, Daisy. I promise to get you over the road, but wait. I can see a juggernaut. I can see three motorcycles and loads of cars. Just wait, honey. Wait. I know best. Just wait here. She stands there a lot of the time patiently, but sometimes I feel her little hand. She wants to go. She just wants to get on with it. Come on, Dad. I know best. I'm two and a half. I know, I know these roads. And I'm like, Daisy, what are you... You're insane. You're two and a half. You don't know what you're doing. If you let go of my hands, you'll mince me. So I hold on even tighter. Do you know what Sarah did? Sarah, she took her hand out of God's hand. She said, I know best. I'm going to make this happen. This is, to be a Christian, if you want to boil it down, means that we say, Lord, you have control. That's how you enter into the kingdom. To be a Christian fundamentally means, God, I recognize deep down I'm a control freak. Anyone here a control freak? We all are. Let's be honest. To be a Christian means, Lord, I recognize actually when I am in control, it all goes wrong. But your word says you've come to this earth to rescue us and therefore we have to put our hand in your hand and say, Lord, I wait. I trust you. You, you do things in your timing. Sarah took her hand out of God's hand and she stepped across that road. She rash reaction was huge so tragic this is what impatience does 
And we are unconsciously saying, God, when we try and make things happen, when we try and speed up the things of God, we are actually saying, God, I don't trust you that you are that you're willing as well as able. And we try and make things happen. You know, it's the equivalent of, you know when you're in the traffic jam, M25, behind, everywhere you boxed in, and then suddenly you see this, some nutter next to you, pulling out, flying down the hard shoulder. They just can't bear it. That's what she did. She did the equivalent. That's what impatience does sometimes. When you're actually meant to just be there. That's what she did. She, you know, and we live in a culture, don't we? Just do it. That's the big Nike slogan. She put on her shoes of impatience and she just did it. And she launched Project Fast Forward. Abe, go and sleep with Hagar. Now, I just want to say, although we're kind of, you know, we've been pretty uh, harsh on Sarai here, I think we have to just kind of try and get into her mind a little bit. I think, first of all, God had promised something that a lot of us would say, yeah, I'd love kids. I'm sure if I say, would you like kids? Most people in this room say, yeah, I'd love kids. And God said, I'm going to give you kids. And it's ten years later. I, I kind of understand her impatience. I understand that. Ten years is a long time. Ten years, I'm going to be 41. Probably a bit wider. Grey hair. Still very good looking, of course. But, you know, just... <laughs> it's a long time. We just go, you know, in the Bible, like, oh, ten years. Yeah, of course. Ten years! I get that. You know, and also, she would have felt like such a failure. God has said, basically, I'm going to launch a rescue plan to the cosmos through you. And it's all hinging on you having a baby. But I'm barren. Yeah, I know. I'm going to give you... She's going to feel like the weakest link. She's just like, come on, Lord, 10 years. She's going to feel such a weight of failure. Even though it's actually all in God's hands. And also, when we understand culturally, although it seems a bit strange, this kind of practice, when there was barrenness in the marriage, was actually relatively common. That sometimes the husband would sleep with the uh, maid servant. They would become his wife, not in the same degree as their actual first wife, but to some degree. And it would actually, uh, therefore, in some way, allow an heir to be born. So when you remember that, actually there's a sense in which we can kind of sympathize with that. But that doesn't take away from the point of what this story is about. And it is actually here to say, yet this was still sin. There was an impatience here that was huge. And I just want to say, really, obviously today to us, I just believe... That for us individually and us corporately as a church, this simple and yet profound message of faith and patience God wants to bring to us today. I know so many of you are single. So many of you are single and primarily it's because if you're a Christian, you think, I want to marry a Christian person. You know, I, I want that. I think it's right. I think the Bible's clear on that. And you're waiting. And you may even feel God's giving you a promise one day. And you are so tempted so tempted because she felt pressure so I felt pressure and she also and this is subtle don't miss this there was a culturally acceptable solution yeah just do the you know the sleeping with the maidservant thing culturally it was acceptable pressure and a culturally acceptable acceptable solution is a huge thing your mates might say to you if you're a Christian what on earth are you waiting for just you know there's, some, there's a guy in your in your seminar class he likes you He's not a Christian, but he kind of, he's interested in God in a way. Come on, give it a go. With some of you here, and you're engaged. A lot of you here, and you're engaged. And you think, well, you know, we're really serious, Tom. Come on, surely. Surely we can go that extra mile. Because, you know, in terms of sexual, you know, in terms of intimacy, there's pressure. And there's a culturally acceptable solution, which is, Let's not be unreasonable. You need a release, don't you, from all that pent-up you know, tension. No! It's subtle. Sarai and Abraham were not evil people, okay? There, but there was a subtlety, a subtlety to this rash reaction that we need to feel, okay? Don't allow pressure and a culturally acceptable solution. That is an absolute mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. And as a church, there's so much application here. As a church, one thing we feel God's spoken to us about is believing for multiple buildings one day. Pressure, as an eldership, like, we've got to come up with the goods, guys. Pressure, culturally acceptable solution. You know, there's warehouses everywhere. MFI have gone under, land the leather. Come on, boys, get on with it. Get something, let's get somewhere. But is it, is it God's leading? Yeah? Is it God? 
doubts aren't questioned. Resisting impatience. No, we've got to be faith and patience. It's huge. This whole thing we just talked about multiple services. Every church in New Frontiers is going to multiple services. Bang, straight away. I'm an impatient guy, so instinctively I'm like, let's do it, come on. You know, there's people who will never get up in the morning because they're hungover or they play football and they could come in the evening. I get it, we get it. God's speaking to us. But patience. Be careful. Be really careful, God's saying. Don't rush in. There's so much application here for us. And I want to say this. Is although Sarai here led the charge with rash reaction, Abraham, he was just as much to blame. It says here, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. <sighs> That's a haunting phrase. It's a bit like in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, do you remember? When, when Eve, yes, yeah, she believed the serpent, then she talked to Adam about it. He said, okay, sounds good. Listen to her voice. This is subtle, okay? Subtle. He didn't say, wait a minute, what are we doing? We need to get back on track with God. We are trying to make this thing happen when actually it's supernatural. It's the whole point. No, no, he went, oh, yeah, okay, good idea. Good one, Abe. Pathetic, really, to be honest with you. Let me tell you, what voice are you listening to in your life? What voice of Sarai is there subtly speaking to you? TV. You know, for me, it's often things like location, location. Gotta have a bigger house, Tom. Get a bigger mortgage. Come on. I don't know. Is that the voice of God? This is the primary way God speaks to us. Do we know it? Do we love it? Is it the thing that comes out of us? The voice of God. It might be you've got parents who are lovely, who are great, don't know Jesus, and maybe have a different mindset on life, and they're just trying to speak some things to you about your life, and you're like, ah, which voice? Which voice? The voice of Sarai was subtle. I would even say this. If you're married... The ultimate authority in life is not your spouse. Okay, if we looked at this couple, we thought, oh, this guy's good, he's, he's really listening to Sarai. Yeah, but actually, in this situation, she was wrong. Let me say, this is why if you're married here, whether you're just starting out on it, or whether you've been married 10, 20, 30 years, every marriage, every marriage couple needs people who will speak into your life. Don't be one of those married couples which becomes isolated, and therefore the biggest voice is each other. Make yourself accountable. Get others that you can trust to speak into your life. You can say, hey, listen, Tom, Josie, I love you, but I just want to say, I, I see this in the Word, and it's, it's not in your marriage. Can I bring it to you? Thank you. Yes. That's how we will see marriages last for a lifetime. Yeah? Seriously. We need to build marriages that are connected all the time. Because Abraham here, the big voice in his life was Sarai. It's got to be God. Okay? That's how the rash reaction happened. And I want to say this. And this is really fascinating. What I'm not saying here, so don't mishear me, is that when we're waiting for promises of God, all action is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Think about this. Just a few weeks ago, Jeff preached on, Gen on Genesis 14. God has spoken to Abraham saying, I'm going to give you a land. What did he do? He prepared an army so that he could take the land. Action. Perfect. He heard from God and his right path was action to get ready for the promise, okay? But in this situation, the action that they chose wasn't because of the voice of God. Yeah, there's a difference. Now, this is huge because I know we are all living with promises. And you think, Tom, tell me, are we going to do stuff to get them or do we just wait? How many times have I thought that? How much, how much activity do we put into seeing them happen? Do you know what? There isn't an answer. Ah, got you there, didn't I? Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. No, don't say that, Tom. Yeah, sorry. We want a slot machine God, don't we? We want a rule rather than relationship. We want a golden rule. Whenever you have a promise from God, that's what you do. It doesn't work like that. For Abraham in Genesis 14, it was do stuff. Here, it was don't do stuff. That's frustrating, isn't it? You can say yes. Yes. Very frustrating. But this is the thing. Don't miss this. What had gone wrong, as I said, with Sarai and Abraham? It was trust, faith. They didn't trust the character of God. God doesn't want us to have a rule. Do you know what he longs for more than anything? It's a relationship. He just wanted Sarai and Abraham to go, Lord, 
We're, a bit, we're struggling here. It's 10 years down the line. What should we do, Lord? But they just went for the rash reaction. You know, listen, walking with God is not a slot machine. It's not put 50p and you get a Coke. All right? It's not. It's walking with God. It's walking with him. You know, we want a dial-up kind of deal, don't we? You know, dial-up, the old five years ago, and he's got on the internet. Oh, there we go. We're on. Who here's got broadband? 24-7. Leave it on. We're going to be like that, okay? You don't dial up and dial on. Paul says, pray all the time. John 15, what is it? Abide in the vine. Sarah and Abraham didn't know the voice of God at this point. If Abraham had been plugged into God in the way he should have been, when he heard Sarai's voice, he would have gone, boom, counterfeit. Subtle, almost convincing, but counterfeit. That's what should have happened. But he didn't. He was like, great idea. Why? Because he wasn't connected 24-7 with God. There's, I, I can't make that happen for you. You've got to do that. We live busy lives. The enemy is subtle. He, busyness, TV, stuff. The way is time with God. I wish it was more flashy. It isn't. It's you getting up earlier. Not because of a, a legal thing, it's because it's relationship. It's you turn the TV off at night. God, I've got to plug into you. I haven't heard your voice in a while. Let me read your word. Let me pray into it. Let me meditate on it. God, I've become a people who individually and corporately know the voice of God. So when we hear the voice of Sarai, we are, whoa, that is a subtle thing, but it's not God. It's not God. It's not God. And so we see here, unfortunately, this chain reaction of sin. Afterwards. We just see, it. We see the blame game. Straight away, they have, they have the child, and suddenly then Sarah realises that she's just acted out of the flesh, acted out of her, her own logic rather than God's logic, and she starts wagging fingers. Then we see apathetic abdication. Sounds like another band, doesn't it? Apathetic abdication. We see that with Abraham. You know? She says, she says, you know, he just says, Abraham said to Sarah, your servant is in your power. You do to her whatever you want. Pathetic. Pathetic. It's the, it's the disease of this nation. It's male abdication. Oh, I'll have sex with you. Yeah, but I won't actually look after you, your children and be with you. Everywhere. It was Abraham who was just like abdicating. He should said, no! No, we can still redeem this. We can turn this around. But he said, oh, uh, you, you do whatever you want to her. And so we see here, we see her, what's her reaction? She deals with her harshly. She deals with her harshly. And so what we see, this final link in the chain of chain reaction of sin, all coming from a rash reaction of impatience, we see, we see her run. We see Hagar run. We can understand it, can't we? She runs away. So we see this sobering first half. <sighs> I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure we're all feeling a little bit convicted. I know I am. But what do we see? I hear you cry, Tom, you've laid us bare. Thank you, Hugh. In your hearts, you cry. I'm so impatient. But there is a solution. Can I have a woohoo? Because what we see here gloriously, remember what I said at the beginning. How has this happened? How is it that this stupid reaction has happened of impatience? It's because the trust has broken down. The trust is broken down. So what we see here, and we finish with this, is that God's grace reaction is all about building up trust. It's all about that. It's all about showing Hagar that he is one that she can trust. Showing Abraham that he is one that she can trust. Showing Sarai that he is one that they can trust. This is huge. And he does it in three ways. He reveals, he realigns, and he reminds what do I mean? First of all this, he reveals his character. Okay, we've had this first half, depressing, blunder after blunder. How's God going to react? Come storming in, you know, smack him over the head, you wallies. No, no, we see yet again, a bit of a common theme here, a God of grace and mercy. He comes to sinful people and he says, I'm going to apply grace. And the first thing he does is he brings a revelation that he is in control. To a world of control freaks 
who when they've tried to take control, it's led to sin after sin, he comes and says, let me take control. And he does it in two ways. He shows us, he reveals this control of God in two ways, and it's wonderful. He seeks Hagar, and he speaks to Hagar. It says here in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. Now, scholars don't know whether this is, whether this is an angel, an angelic being, the Bible talks about it, or whether it may even be what they call the angel of the Lord, which some scholars think may even be Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, God himself. Now, we don't really know, but I think either way, it's pretty amazing. Isn't it pretty amazing? Yes. You can get excited, guys. Either God or an angel from God has come down to a woman to say, and I love this, he says, he says he comes over to her and he just, he just seeks her, he finds her by the spring of water. He seeks her out. Now listen, when you are tempted to impatience, knowing that God is a God who's in control, who is actively coming to you, even today, as we look at this truth, and seeking you out is the first remedy in becoming greater impatience. Overcoming impatience. Because as I said, when we're impatient, what we're actually saying is, God, I don't believe you are in control anymore, so I'm going to do this thing here. I'm just going to get on with it. And God says, he seeks her out. I love it. You see throughout scripture, Jesus, he said the son of man came to seek the lost. You see it in Luke 15, dwell on Luke 15. It's an amazing chapter, which all is about a God who seeks those who don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. It talks about a shepherd who leaves his 99 to go after one, one silly sheep, woolly, who zoomed off on his own. That's us. Okay. He talks about a prodigal son. What's prodigal? That means it's a, uh, one, this is about, this story is about a son who runs away. It's also about an older brother. We won't go into that. It's about a young son as well who runs away and basically rips off his dad. And when you look at that, you're going to identify with it. You go, yeah, that's like me. I've run away from God. Listen, God has such come to seek after us. That's what it means to be a Christian is to say, I accept I didn't seek after God. I was running away from God. Doing my own thing. God came to seek us. Came to seek us. If you're a non-Christian here today, without any weird freakiness, I want to say to you, it's not a coincidence you're here today. Yes, you've used your mind and your will and you've chosen here, but as I say virtually every week, God is a God of the ambush. He's a God who's come to seek you, to bring you, because he loves you. He actually wants relationship with you. He really does. He's like a a heat-seeking missile. Wherever you go, he's after you. He wants to bring you. And here today, if you would say, I'm not a Christian, he's giving you the offer of connection with God. Of being picked up like that sheep on his shoulders. Of being, see the amazing thing in that story about the son, the young son, what's the reaction of the dad when he runs back home after all he's done to rip him off? His dad runs after him. Dads don't do that in the Middle East. They're dignified. Children run. But this dad runs after him. Our God is a God who runs after us. If you're here today, in a few minutes as we come to an end, I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to a God who's come to seek you. So God, he brings a revelation that he's in control by saying, I'm one who seeks you. But he also then is one who speaks to you. We see this in verse 8. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He knows he's God. He's just making small talk with her. It's amazing. He knows. But he's just like, you know when you're like in a taxi, you don't know what to say. Like, busy night? You know, he's just like, all right, Sarah, I completely know what's happened, but I'm just trying to be kind to you. It's just, God's amazing. He just says, where are you going? Where are you coming from? What's the deal? Why are you out here on your own? This is a, what a revelation of our God. Some people think the Christian God is a God who's always wagging the finger, always full of wrath and anger. This is the shepherd heart of our God. This is the God who comes not just to seek us, but to speak to us. He's been speaking this morning, hasn't he? Saying, I love you. I'm a God of permanence. He's been saying, there's so much in your life right now that you are struggling with. Do you know what? As he knew with Hagar, he, knew, he knows with you. He knows what you're struggling with. Every single one of you here, he knows. How do we overcome impatience? You've got to have a revelation that just as God knew with Hagar, he knows 
You know that big finger in the lottery advert? It's you. You know what? To be a Christian is a billion times better than winning the lottery. It means that's actually real. It's you. It's you. You don't deserve it. (laughs) I don't deserve it. But God came to Hagar. Angel came to say to her, what are you doing? Showing us the heart of our God. How This is amazing. They've been so sinful. They've been so impatient. They've just acted in the flesh. And yet our God comes and he repays it with tenderness. He repays it with love. It's amazing. Oh God, it's amazing. He doesn't ignore things, but he comes and his grace is sufficient. If you're here today and you're struggling with big trials of many kinds, I will probably not know about them. There may be no one else here who knows about them. But you know what? Our God is committed. He is committed to to coming around you, to enshrouding you, to, to being one who comes and as he showed tenderness to Hagar, showing the tenderness of God to you. That isn't just for women, okay, who feel emotions. It's for men as well. Some of you men, you think, oh, I've got to admit to that. You need to admit to it. You need to. You know, you don't always have to be the strong one. God comes to, to, to connect with you as a father only can do wonderfully. And so he's saying here, he's giving out a revelation that he is in control, that he's good, that he's listening, that he's here. But then secondly, what we see here wonderfully, he then does something you may not have expected. He then doesn't just bring a revelation, doesn't just reveal his nearness and his in-controlness, he then realigns. Look here in verse 8. She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. When I read that, I wasn't expecting that because you read it and you think, well, you know, Sarah is a bit of a nightmare. She's been really harsh to us, so she should have run away. Actually, what we have to understand here is, again, we can often think of servants or slaves, you know, as like, well, of course, she shouldn't have been in that situation. But as a few months ago, Liam brilliantly showed us, actually in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, sorry, many thousand years ago when this was written, actually, often servants and slaves were well-treated. It was like having a real job. It wasn't just like some kind of dodgy thing. And actually, she had a responsibility to her masters, Abraham and Sarah, that she couldn't just run away from. Now, this is huge. Because when we're under pressure... When your boss is an absolute nightmare and you feel so tempted to justify gossiping or to running out, I'm leaving this job. This is saying don't. Don't do it. All right? Don't do it. God doesn't say here, submit to Sarai when she's really, really good and deserve, deserves your submission. He doesn't say that. Romans 13 says there is no authority except from God. We have to submit. How? I hear you say, because God's grace is sufficient. His his grace is sufficient. For some of you, you've got lecturers and seminar leaders that are absolutely on your case. And you think, I'm so justified, behind the scenes in dissing this guy. Or I'm so justified in just leaving and screaming at him or whatever. Some of you have got parents that actually are just making your life a misery. I'd say the Bible says, honour your mum and dad. There is an authority structure in place from God that we trust. We have to trust. Now you see, this is, this is huge because we often conclude that pain means that we are out of the will of God. It's not always the case. Actually, when we're in the will of God, God calls us to endure. Say endure. Put the back of your voice. Back of your mouth. Endure. It's another uncool, horrible, unglamorous thing. Patience, endurance. Oh no, they're similar. Endure. Do you know what? I'm not saying you always need to. You have to seek God again. It's that whole answer. But when God says to you, listen, I want you to stay where you are. Why? Because actually in that place, he's refining us. Some of you have got promises from God and they still haven't come to fulfillment and it's, it's painful. And you feel like you're like, ah. I just want to get out of this thing. I just want to forget about it. No. Wait well. Wait well. King David was anointed, given the promise of being a king. Great. 
10 to 13 years of enduring, having to submit to a king, at that time King Saul, who was a nightmare and trying to kill him. Why? Because in that place you learn patience. In that place you learn there's no other way. I can either solve this by getting rid of it or I can solve it by staying here and drinking from God. That's what God wants us to do. And when people go, how are you able to do that? You go, there's only one person who enables me. He's called Jesus, actually. And guess what? Jesus gets the glory. And someone else live is blown away because they've seen you doing something supernatural. Not natural, supernatural. It's amazing. It's amazing. You are looking serious. <laughs> because this is hard. This is hard. But actually, wonderfully, God's grace is sufficient. So we find the first solution then is that God brings, he reveals. He reveals who he is. I'm a God who seeks after you. I'm a God who speaks to you. I'm secondly also a God who comes to realign you. You have to stay in that place until I call you on. But then thirdly, we, do, he, we see him do something amazing here. And I've said he reminds her. He says, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. And we are told the meaning of the name Ishmael. What does it mean? A God who hears. A God who hears. What is God doing here? This is amazing. One of the things God is doing here is saying, I know that you need to live in a constant place of revelation that I'm a God who's in control. Remember my first point? A God reveals it. Reveals that he's in control and that he hears and sees. He is here saying, I want to secure that. I'm putting a living, breathing reminder of it in your life. Your son. His very name will constantly be booming back to you, I'm a God who sees. Or is it hears? Hears. I'm a God who hears. Either way. I'm a God who's here. Isn't that amazing? I think God is quite passionate about us constantly being reminded he's in control. You think about that for a moment. You know? You've got to call your son God who hears. You know? Just imagine saying to Josie, Josie, me, Daisy, Lily, and God who hears are off down to Morrison's. It's a bit weird. But then Sarai gets the hang of it. She's like, brilliant idea. I tell you what, let's call this well, that long word that Helen pronounced very well, which means well of the living one who sees me. A God who hears and a God who sees. That's incredible. So God is placing here practical reminders in place that he is always, say always, Always, say always, always a God who's in control. Whenever she would have called his name, she would have been reminded, God who hears. Whenever she went down for a little swim or a drink in the well, it's a God who sees. Hemming her in behind him before. Let me appeal to you as we come to an end. Do practical things in your life to remind yourself that God is in control. Print out scripture if need be and whack it on your wall. Remind yourself, memory verses. If you've got prophecies over your life, get them out. Dwell on them. Be someone who actively is dwelling in that place. Do whatever it takes to be someone who is daily reminded that God is in control. Listen, when, when I, we are often going about, listen, when God heals you or God does supernatural things in your life, tell us. Why are we saying that? Because there is a power that defeats unbelief and lack of trust when we proclaim the good works of God. When I, I almost daily go, Liz Thatcher, for years she was someone who when she ate wheat, she reacted and had a terrible reaction. God healed her and she can now eat donuts galore. Hallelujah. That's our God. I think Laura Fagg, hit by a car, her ankle, totally smashed, x-ray to prove it, prayed here on a Sunday, three, four days later she goes, it's healed. The next x-ray completely shows that it's been healed. Our God is amazing. There are so many stories of God intervening in our life in supernatural ways. And listen, when we ask and we say, Lord, we need to dwell on this. We're not saying it in a, just a nice little pet me up way. It is vital. Why? Because it empowers us to wait well. We say, well, Lord, you've done these things. And even though the fullness of it hasn't been expressed yet, it makes me wait well. It makes me, it empowers me, it reminds me. It's the equivalent of putting those things in place that means that we are able to work well. Our God is amazing. And today he has been so clearly speaking to us, I believe, even through the scripture and through this sermon. He's calling us to be a people who grow in patience. 
who grow in the uncool, ugly sister of faith. That is patience. Say faith and patience. If there's one verse that we memorized this year, Hebrews 6.12, join with me, faith and patience. Do it with me. Join with me. Join with us this year, faith and patience. That's how we inherit the promises. Patience. I'm a relatively young man, so I'm particularly prone to impatience. Many of you in this room, but not all of you, are fairly young. You too may also be someone. Are we going to be waiting well, being patient in 5, 10, 15 years for the fulfillment of the promises of God on us? Or will we have thrown our our toys out of the pram and said, Lord, you haven't done it yet. No, faith and patience. Faith and patience. And this is his promise. We don't grit our teeth and try really hard. I've saved the best bit till last. How do we do it? We do all those things. We, rem- we get revelation from God. We realign ourselves in terms of what we're doing. We remind ourselves, but this is the thing. It isn't trying harder. I am not saying to you, go and try harder. I'm saying to you this. There is one who has gone before us, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is one who was tempted to fast forward. Remember, after, after his baptism and after his temptations, during the temptations, the enemy was saying to him, listen, you don't have to do this suffering thing. Fast forward. Remember later in his life, when, when Jesus was tempted by a guy called Peter, he was talking about his death and his suffering and his patience and endurance in that, and Peter said, no! And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Listen, Jesus is our, he is our example. He is the one we look to, but not just our example. He is in us. If you're a Christian here today, it means that God, Jesus Christ, is actually in you to empower you. We look to his example, but then we believe the power of God is in us to sustain us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you you are here. We thank you, God, that you are calling us as a people to wait well. Lord, I know so many here today, Lord, Lord, will find things in their life that just the one thing they don't want to do is have to wait. Lord, I want to ask, Spirit of God, for your wonderful tenderness upon this people. Lord, you say, if we wait upon you, we will rise up like eagles. We will rise up. We will run and not grow weary. Will we be a people who wait on you? I want to pray even now, Lord, as we come to an end, that Lord God, you would just minister to this wonderful group of people, Lord, that you've come to. I want to pray, God, for every difficult situation. I want to pray even in a minute, as as many will be ministered to by our prayer team, Lord, that you would change lives, that you would come by your power, that you would do what only you can do, God, which is enable us to be like your son. We can't do it, but you in us daily, daily are enabling us to be do the impossible. I want to pray, God, for maturity in this church. Lord, your heart yearns for it. More maturity, Lord. Yes, exuberance and faith and belief. But alongside it, patience. Let it be said. Let it be said of every person in this church. Do you know what? Yeah, they're excited about things. But they are. There's a maturity. There's a depth. There's a, a patience. It's amazing. I just say, Lord, let your spirit, let that fruit of the spirit be so abundant so abundant and I just want to say one final thing if you're here today and you you know you're not a Christian you'd say you definitely aren't but today I want to give you the opportunity right now right now to respond you see what Sarah was trying to do was she was trying to do it in her own effort she was trying to work hard to make this thing happen and that's basically what we will do outside of the grace of God I want to say today, if you're someone and you know that actually in your life you've been trying really hard to do the right thing, God today wants to say, listen, (laughs) give it up. Give it up. It's not my way. None of us are good enough. None of us. There's one who was good enough. His name was Jesus. And that he worked hard enough for all of us at the cross. I want to say today, can I encourage you right now to just respond and to give your life to God? Just to say, Lord, as best I know how, I need to go your way. 
Let me put my hand in your hand. I don't want to run across this road anymore. I don't want to try and make things happen. When I do that, it goes wrong. Ishmael's occur. What I want to ask right now, if there's anyone here, can I just encourage you to be bold and put your hand in the air? Eyes are shut. Just between you and God. Just say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anyone else here today and you know I need to respond? I need to respond. I've heard your voice, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Wonderful. Hallelujah. That's great. Praise God. Is there anyone else here? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Wonderful. I want to pray for you three right now. Just with our eyes shut, Lord, I ask God, Lord, that you would just draw very close in this wonderful moment. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we praise you for that response. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Lord, we love you. We love your name. And we say, Lord, go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you put your hand up, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to just chat with you a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian. Can I encourage you just to come to the, to the front as soon as we finish? It'd be great just to chat through what it is to be a Christian and what it is to know a God who loves us and wants to walk with us. So if you three just want to do that, that'd be great. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for listening well. Guys, have a, a wonderful week. I uh, hope our cell groups will be honest and, I'm sure, painful and yet wonderful. Thanks so much for being here today. God bless you as you go and see many of you in vision tonight, I'm sure. And come to our ministry team if you want prayer for anything. The guys in the red T-shirts, please do come forward for prayer. That would be wonderful. Hallelujah. <laughs>